And um, I'm just going to start out by reading a passage in the first book of Samuel, uh, chapter 16. First book of Samuel, chapter 16. We'll read this as an introduction, and then I will open in, in, in prayer, and we will begin our message. And I was in second Samuel. That's why it's taking me a little bit. Okay, here we go. And the Lord said unto Samuel, How long wilt thou mourn for Saul, seeing I have rejected him from reigning over Israel? Fill thine horn with oil and go. I will send thee to Jesse, the Bethlehemite, for I have provided me a king among his sons. And Samuel said, How can I go? If Saul hear it, he will kill me. And the Lord said, Take an heifer with thee and say, I am come to sacrifice to the Lord. And call Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show thee what thou shalt do, and I will anoint unto him whom I name unto thee. And thou shalt anoint unto him whom I name unto thee. And Samuel did that which the Lord spoke, and came to Bethlehem, and the elders of the town trembled at his coming, and said, Comest thou peaceably? And he said peaceably, I am come to sacrifice unto the Lord. Sanctify yourselves, and come with me to the sacrifice. And he sanctified Jesse and his sons and called them to the sacrifice. And it came to pass when they were come that he looked on Eliab and said, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said unto Samuel, Look not on, on his countenance or on the height of his stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord seeth not as man seeth. For man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, Neither hath the Lord chosen this. Then Jesse made Shammah to pass by. And he said, Neither hath the Lord just chosen this. Again Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said unto Jesse, The Lord hath not chosen these. And Samuel said unto Jesse, Are here all thy children? And he said, There remaineth yet the youngest. And behold, he keepeth the sheep. And Samuel said unto Jesse, Send and fetch him, for we will not go down till he come hither. And he sent and brought him. Now he was ruddy and withal, of a beautiful countenance, and goodly to look to. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil, and anointed him in the midst of his brethren. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. So Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. Can we open in prayer? Heavenly Father, Lord, we just pray that as we open your word and uh, hear um, what you have to say to us, that we would be changed people, that we would uh, leave here with new ammunition um, to continue to spread the gospel uh, throughout our neighborhoods and throughout our nation. Our nation desperately needs you, Lord. We need you to raise up godly leaders as we go into this election season and we just pray that you would move the hearts of men toward you for you've said if my people who are called by my name shall humble themselves and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways then will I hear from heaven and will move my hand and I will heal their land Lord, we know we still serve that God today and we ask you to be here with us in Jesus name amen, amen. All right, well, I'm going to start out just by telling you a little bit about my life. The reason I read that passage from Samuel is because 
in my uh, experience of studying the scripture, I have found that God delights in using people that the world overlooks. God delights in using people who the world says that person is useless. There's no way any good can come out of that person. He, he uses places like that too. If you recall, when Jesus was first beginning his ministry, uh, Philip went to get Nathaniel and said, We found the Messiah. Come follow him with me. And he said, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Philip's response was, Come and see. And of course, Nathaniel did come and see, and he said, You are the Son of God. He was the first disciple to make the declaration that, that um, Jesus was indeed the Son of God. And so he definitely saw that good did indeed come out of Nazareth. Well, I just wanted to start out by talking about my early life. I was born in May of 1979, and I really like the fact that I was born in May. Um, it's great to have my birthday on the weekend that's the kickoff to summer. Um, we've been doing a lot of traveling over the past few years over that weekend because I have siblings across the country, and so it works out good to travel on that weekend, and so uh, we've, been, we've been doing more traveling lately on that weekend. So it's been interesting to celebrate my birthday in different locations. But when I was little, I liked the fact that my birthday was the end of May because I got presents in May and presents in December. So presents every six months wasn't bad. <laughs> uh, the only problem was that I was born three months early. According to my due date, I was supposed to be born August 11th. And my parents were actually on vacation uh, for the last time before becoming parents. And I guess I wanted to go on vacation too. And so I decided to make my entrance on a Sunday morning at 11.22 a.m. Uh, uh, when many people, including my grandparents and my uncles, were in morning worship. And uh, I, I like to say that that's probably part of the reason why I do some of my most important work between 11 and 12 on Sunday mornings often. Uh, because God knew even then that that was his plan for me, and I'm very thankful for that. When I was five years old, my parents, who had raised me in a Christian home, uh, were faithfully teaching me the principles of the Bible. And uh, my great-grandfather died. And my, and my mom relates the story to me that I had asked her, is grandpa with Jesus? And she said, I don't know because I don't know what decision he made for Jesus. See, we all have to make a decision for Jesus. We all have to ask ourselves, who is Jesus Christ to me? Not what did he do in general, because most of us in the whole Grand Rapids area could tell you that Jesus died on the cross we might even say that he died on the cross for our sins as a collective statement. Most of us in Grand Rapids could say that. But have you personalized it? Has it become something where you have said, Jesus Christ died for me as a person? Anyway, at that age of almost five, I realized that I needed to make that decision. And so I was with my mom, and I just trusted the Lord as my Savior. 
um, that day, I believe in April of 1984. I would like to say that that was the beginning of a bunch of roses and, and uh, a great time with the Lord. But for the first nine years that I was saved, I was like, Lord, I, I know that we have the eternal destiny taken care of, but my temporary destination, being in this wheelchair, kind of stinks. And I know that my pastors and, and my parents tell me that you don't make mistakes, but you must have made a major one because if I was able to walk, then I'd be able to serve you. Fast forward to July of 1992. I was a very discouraged young man. I don't want to oversell this. I think sometimes when I, when I give this story, I kind of oversell it. But I was very depressed. And I remember just having many days where I was like, what is the point? I can't do anything. I, there's, there's no hope. And Jan, July 16th, 1992 is the worst day of my entire life, but it was also a turning point. My younger brother, John Michael, who was three months at the time, went to bed for his morning nap, and he never woke up. At about one o'clock in the afternoon, my mom went out to check on him because we'd been checking on him periodically throughout the morning. And she found that he had gone to be with the Lord. Now, the paramedics, they tried to revive him, and I, I prayed really hard that, that God would revive him, and we were all praying, and then my parents came home that day and said, he's gone. And so the next few days and weeks just moved on in slow motion. And I remember several times just weeping in my mother's arms and saying, Mom, why did God take him? He was perfectly healthy. He was your healthiest baby to this point. And God took him. And he left me here and I'm completely useless. I don't want to live anymore. I just want to go to heaven. There's no reason for me to be here. I don't know for sure if I would have taken my life, but I'm glad that I didn't have the physical ability to find out. Because I was the lowest that I could possibly get at that point. But I'm thankful that God stuck with me through that time. And when I got to 14, about a month after my 14th birthday, we went to a conference. It's a Christian conference that we went to several years in a row. So I'd heard the material, I think I'd heard the material like once before. And uh, we got to a session about 10 unchangeables of life. 10 things that you wish you could change about yourself, but you can't. Things like physical appearance, things like the, the time you were born in history, which, for the record, I've never been more thankful to be born at the time that I am in history because there's so many resources and so many ways that I can stay active that I wouldn't have been able to do, let alone stay alive if I'd been born even 10 or 20 years previous to my birth date. So I know that God planned that out. But 
I remember sitting there in that auditorium that day and you got to, to the one that was the big one for me, which was the way God made you physically. And I remember the speaker telling the story of Johnny Erickson Tata and how she had come to one of the conferences and she had come up to him and said, do I really have to thank him for being in this wheelchair? And he said, yes. He said, because when you thank him for being in this wheelchair, then you can discover what his plan is for you in this wheelchair. And when I heard that, I finally broke through. And God was saying to me, Andrew, I don't need to change you on the outside to use you. I just need you to let me move in and change your heart and remodel your heart. Let me give you a heart after my heart and then you'll be able to serve me and I'll give you opportunities that you have no idea. So I rededicated my life to Christ that day, made a commitment that I would share Christ at every opportunity. Now I don't, I'm not always 100% faithful in that, but God has given me some unique opportunities. It wasn't long after that that I got an opportunity to sing on the Children's Bible Hour program as part of Company Corner. And over the years, I have uh, been able to preach in several states and all throughout um, West Michigan. And uh, he's given me a a podcast ministry um, called uh, uh, Speaking for Him Podcast, which I post every Friday on the website, so please check that out, along with sermon audio uh, that I have from previous sermons. And so, God really did a work in my life. And I'm going to, from my favorite book of the Bible, Philippians, I'm going to share with you four things, four things that God has taught me through the book of Philippians about a way um, to live my life. And the first thing I want to share with you is in Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1, verses 20 and 21. Now, this is my life verse. And uh, it's interesting how God showed it to me because I went to a banquet with my father, I think that same year, as a 14th birthday present. He gave me tickets to a banquet and took me to a banquet to hear a man by the name of Dave Drebecki speak. I don't know if anybody knows who he was, but he was a San Francisco Giants pitcher who um, got cancer in his arm. In his, I think it was his humerus bone. Um, no, it was deltoid, I think it was. His deltoid. He got cancer in his deltoid, and he got his deltoid removed, and nobody had ever come back to pitch after having their deltoid removed, so nobody thought he could come back. But he knew that God had the power to make it happen if it was to be. So he rehabbed and he made a miraculous comeback. Um, I believe it was August 10th, 1989. The reason that sticks in my mind is because it's my brother's birthday is August 10th. So I believe that's when he made his comeback. A week later, he broke his arm and they discovered that the cancer had returned. 
So he ended up losing the arm and retiring from baseball. But this man and his struggle had spoken to me greatly. And as I was in the autograph line afterwards, when he autographed my books and uh, autographed my baseball card, he put a different verse in each one. And one of them was this verse in Philippians 1, 20 to 21, which says, According to my earnest expectation and my hope, that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness, as always, so now also, Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. And uh, I really want to live a life that shows this verse to be true. I want to live a life so that when I pass away, or when Jesus comes back, um, people can say that that was true of me. And, you know, I think it's, it's just a great epitaph that this was Paul's heart cry that whether he lived or died, he was going to, to serve Christ. In, in the, later on in the passage, he talks about, I don't know whether to be here with you or whether to depart, which is far better. But basically what Paul was saying was, I'm in a win-win situation because whether I live on earth or whether I live in heaven, I still live. He was saying to those who were persecuting him, if you keep me here on earth, I'm going to keep preaching the gospel, so I win. If you kill me because I'm preaching the gospel, I'm going to go to heaven and be with my Lord, so I still win. There's no losing. We talk about win-win situations in our culture. There's no greater win-win situation than that one right there. All right, so that's the passion of my life. Now turn over to Philippians chapter 2 and consider the power with which we are to live our lives. Philippians 2.13 says, For it is God who worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. This was an important thing for, for me to realize as I was going through that rough time as a teenager. Because I thought... You know, God didn't give me a very powerful body, so therefore, he doesn't expect me to do very powerful things. But see, I got it twisted, because the power is his. It's God who works in us to do what he wants to do. And so, if he calls me to do something, there's nothing that can stop me from being able to do it. I've had... Three or four times in my life where I thought that I was going to die. One of them, I almost drowned in a pool at the Y. When I was about nine, I was going around the pool because my brothers were in swimming class and they moved over to the hot tub, which was on the far side of the room. So I was going around to be near them and I got too close to the side and went over in my wheelchair and started to sink because my wheelchair was very heavy and I was strapped in. Fortunately, God showed the lifeguard that I was there. He saw me and pulled me out. And there have been a couple times where I got in car accidents that I thought for sure were going to be the end. And they weren't. So what does this tell me? This tells me that until God is done with me, I'm invincible. I'm not invincible in the sense that I can do whatever I want in a foolish way. 
because the Bible tells us not to test God. But I know that whatever mission God has for me, I will complete. Because he says in Philippians chapter 1, I'll be faithful to complete whatever work I've begun in you. And I can tell you with absolute certainty that whatever work he has for you, he will complete. But the power is his. And as we allow him to work in our lives and, and, and use us, he will do great things. Point three. Part of being able to be used by God today was being able to look past the past, to look beyond it. Paul says in Philippians chapter 3, um, verses, verses 12 to 14, Philippians 3, 12 to 14, not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after if that I may apprehend that for which I am also apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Incidentally, the, the, the motto of my ministry is speaking for him, who spoke for me. And that's, this passage is where it comes from. He says, I follow after that I may apprehended, apprehend that for which I am also apprehended of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ found me as a depressed, angry young man, and he pulled me up and he said, I have work for you to do. And because he did that, it is my calling and my duty to do that as much as possible. I take it very seriously. I take it with joy. And I'm so grateful for the opportunity to be here sharing with you. It was interesting. I was here for the Young at Heart group in June and Pastor Paul sat in and he said, I may call you when I, when I need someone to fill my pulpit. And I said, great, that sounds great. But I, I can't tell you how many people express interest um, in having me speak and then don't get back to me. So when he called me a month ago, I was like really excited because God was opening another door. And the only thing I can do when he does that is roll right through it. So we've talked about my passion. We've talked about who provides the power in my life. We've talked about my past and how it was awful and how I struggled. And now we talk about my present as I seek to press toward Jesus Christ. And now my final point is to talk to you about the promises I believe. Because I've been through a lot, and God has been faithful. But there's still discouragements. 
as I'm looking at my ministry today, I continue to pray for more opportunities to preach. I really want um, my speaking to be able to be a full-time thing. I have quite a ways to go in order for that to happen. But I know God is in control, so I ask you to, to pray for that. As I continue to preach and as I continue to reach people with the gospel, one of my greatest heart desires is to have a life partner with whom I can share this ministry, with whom I can dream for the future, and with whom I can expand it. I'm an uncle 16 times over, and I love that, but I still long for the day that I could be a father to my own children to raise them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. So what do I do when I'm discouraged about this? Because it does get discouraging. Sometimes I think I'll never find her. But I know that God is faithful. I know that he has a plan. I know that if I'm to be married, that my wife is out there somewhere praying for me as I'm praying for her. And as I wait for that, I think of these promises in Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4, there's two promises I want to talk to you about. First of all, Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Philippians 4, 6, and 7 says, Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God, and the peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Be careful for nothing. Be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, uh, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. I have been praying for probably two years for a job um, that would help me supplement my income from preaching. And uh, two days before school started, I got a call from Potter's House Christian High School, and they offered me a temporary part-time job working four days a week, 28 hours, as a hall monitor and safety officer, walking through the halls and getting the opportunity to impart Jesus' love to the students of Potter's House High School. It's so great to work in a place where it's more than just a paycheck. As a matter of fact, I've been working for them for five years as a volunteer. So really, when I get to payday and they hand me that check, it just feels like a bonus. Because it's something I've already loved to do and invested myself in so much that getting paid for it is just the icing on the cake. But you see, God provides. When I was here in June, I told you that I was praying for a van. And that van is sitting out in the parking lot today. Now I've been praying that God would give me the finances to pay it off, and he has. He's been very faithful. I've almost paid, it was a $29,000 van, and I've almost paid $9,000 on it already. Because of the faithfulness of God and the faithfulness of his people. I'm so thankful. And this verse about being anxious for nothing has really spoken to me in the last couple of weeks because I have been anxious. I have been 
sad. But I know something to be true, that the peace of God is with me. Whether I'm going through personal turmoil or whether I'm grieving for this nation that I love, I know that God is in control. And I can tell you one thing with absolute certainty. The Bible says, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. And we need the Lord more than ever before. We can't necessarily change what the polls are going to do in November. But we can change what is going on in our hearts. And as we change what's going on in our hearts, and we do things in the community, like this laundry love that's coming up, I love that. And we reach people for Christ. That's where the difference comes. The apostles didn't go to seminary. They didn't, they didn't spend years in school. They weren't uh, crafty speakers. As a matter of fact, everybody knew they were unlearned. But what does it say? They knew when they heard them speak that they'd been with Jesus. And it says in another place in Acts that they turned the world upside down for the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is the kind of person that I want to be. I want to be one who turns the world upside down for Jesus Christ. Because you know what? The world needs him. And no matter how much they reject him and no matter how much they stop their ears to him, he still loves them. That's one of the reasons he hasn't come back yet because there's still more people that need to hear the life-changing gospel of Jesus Christ. They need to hear of the awfulness of sin, but the awesomeness of God and his gift to take away our sins. That's what I'm here to proclaim. And then... Finally, two more promises from Philippians in verses 13 and 19 of chapter 4. Verses 13 and 19 of chapter 4. I can do all things through Christ who strengtheneth me, but my God shall apply all your needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Whatever God has called you to do, you can do. By his power. Remember we were talking in the open. About David. And Samuel comes to anoint the next king. I always wondered why God didn't just tell Samuel. You know this, David Jesse's son is going to be the next king. Go anoint him. Instead. He gives Samuel the opportunity to make an in, a very important observation. Because Samuel looks at these first two or three strapping brothers on down to the seventh and none of them fit God's criteria. Remember what he said to Saul when he ripped the kingdom from Saul? He said, I have chosen someone better than you. Who is a man after my own heart? And that was David. He wasn't even called to this important thing because there was no way that he would ever be king. No way. And yet, God took him and made him king. And it's interesting, he anoints him king 
And then for the next several years, he's running for his life. So when God gives you a calling, he doesn't always answer right away. He told Abraham, you know, you're going to be the father of many nations. And Abraham's waiting five years, 10 years, 15 years. And he says, can't Eliezer stand before you as my heir? He's, he's the closest thing to a son that I have. Can he be the one? And then Sarah says, maybe I'm supposed to have children by my maid, Hagar. Go into her and have a child with her. And she'll bear the child on my knees. And that will be your heir. So he does it. And after all that. Then God still says to Abraham. Your heir will come from your loins. And then Isaac was born. When Abraham was almost 100. And Sarah was in her 90s. He had told Abraham, like 25 years ago, this is going to happen. And Abraham was starting to doubt. You know, when, whenever I doubt the long-term goals that I have and the things that I believe God has shown me about the future, I remember that. Because I don't want to be like Abraham and step out ahead of God. I just want to be faithful to what he has shown me. Because he is faithful to me and he will be faithful to you. So I've talked to you about my early life, about the turning point that was the death of my brother, who I will one day see in heaven. You know, David, when his son passed away, the his servants were afraid to tell him because he had been fasting and crying. And they said, if, if we tell him that his son is dead, he, he'll just, he's just going to die himself. But David got up and he washed his face. And he went to eat some food and he went to comfort his wife Bathsheba. Why? They said, well, why? Your son is dead. Why are you doing this? And he said, my son will never come again to me, but I will go to him. My brother will never come again to me here on this earth, but I will go to him someday. And I'm looking so forward to that. As I close, I want to share with you a favorite hymn of mine. It's kind of funny to say for me to say that because I, you know, I could write a whole hymnal of my favorite hymns, but... It's still true. There was a great hymn writer by the name of Fanny Crosby. And uh, when she was two, her doctor gave her some kind of treatment for an illness. I don't remember if it was scarlet fever or what it was, but whatever the treatment was, it, it caused her to go blind. And she could have had any reason to despair. She wrote a poem when she was eight years old that says, Oh, what a happy soul am I, although I cannot see. I am resolved that in this world contented I will be. How many blessings I enjoy that other people don't. To weep and sigh because I'm blind, I cannot. 
and I won't. I have to admit that I have weeped inside over my disability at times and things related to it, but ultimately I know that I can live in the confidence that when my life's work is ended and I cross the swelling tide and the great and glorious morning I shall see, I shall know my Redeemer when I reach the other side and His smile will be the first to welcome me. I shall know Him, I shall know Him and redeemed by His side I shall stand. I shall know him, I shall know him by the prince of the nails in his hand. Oh, the dear ones in glory, how they beckon me to come. At our parting at the river I recall, to the sweet vales of Eden they will sing my welcome home, but I long to meet my Savior first of all. I shall know him, I shall know him, and redeemed by his side I shall stand. I shall know him, I shall know him, by the prince of the nails in his hands. Amen. My question to you is, will you know him? He wants nothing more than for you to know him. He wants to be able to say that your name is written in the book of life. There's no eraser powerful enough to erase your name once it's written there, but it has to be written there. You know, sometimes I hear people say, why would a loving God send people to hell? And I used to say, well, he sends them there because he can't tolerate sin. But I really realized over the last few years that he doesn't send anyone there. They go there of their own choice when they reject him. His arms stretched wide on Calvary's cross so that no one would have to go there. They told him that day to come down from the cross if you're God. No, because he was God, he couldn't come down from the cross. And the devil thought he won that day. <laughs> when Jesus said, it is finished. God's plan of redemption was finished, but Jesus was not finished because on the third day he rose again, victorious from the grave. Back to Fanny Crosby, someone once told her, I think it was her pastor even, said, it's a shame with all the other talents God gave you, Fanny, that he never restored your sight. She said, I'm glad because the very first face I'll see is the face of my Savior. And that's why she wrote that hymn that I just sang. I have constant pain to varying degrees, one or another. And I am the least flexible person physically that you will ever meet. But Eventually, I'll be able to kneel. And when I do, it will be to kneel before the Lord and say, He is Lord. 
to the glory of God the Father. I'm looking forward to that day, and I hope that you will all be there. I would love to talk to any one of you about how to become a part of God's family. This is so important. And it's not saying words, and it's not going to church. It's about embracing a personal relationship with a God who knows your name and has counted all the hairs on your head. So if you're ready to take that adventure, I would love to talk to you. Anyone who is here in leadership in the church would love to talk to you about how that can happen. Because I can guarantee you, although there will still be rough spots, you know, there's still days that I wake up and I'm frustrated with this life and my body, my crippled body, and I wish it was different. But ultimately I know that though my outward man is perishing, my inward man is renewed day by day by the Holy Spirit. And the same thing can be said of any one of you. So my prayer for you is that you will, you will make things right between you and God today. Because he's standing waiting. And if you have, are a believer, but you've wandered away, remember this. If you're feeling far away from God, ask yourself who moved. It wasn't Jesus. Jesus said, I'll never leave you or forsake you. So if you're far away from God, there's probably some business that you need to do with him. And he's more than willing to listen to it. So I'm going to pray. And uh, as I said, I would love to greet you guys and, and uh, would love to talk to you. Um, and just continue to pray for my continued ministry. Pray uh, that... Funds will continue to come in to pay for my van. Pray that my van will um, stay on the road. Uh, pray for my job at the high school. And also, yes, please pray that God would send someone into my life to share my ministry with. I would very much appreciate it. The exciting thing for me is when I shatter stereotypes and when I do things that people don't think are possible or seem like long shots I get to give all the glory to God you know at one time I went in uh, and I'll close with this but one time I went in to the repair shop with one of my wheelchairs and it was always breaking down on me and I said well why don't they make them better quality and the repair guy said because they don't expect anybody to actually go anywhere in these chairs they just expect them to stay at home and do nothing well, thanks to Jesus Christ, that will never be said of me. Because there's too much work to do. And I'm excited to see what God has in store for me next. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for these truths from the book of Philippians today and from the life of David. We thank you for the hymn writer Fanny Crosby. All these things that are encouraging to us and are in our spiritual walk, Lord, we just pray that you would be with us, that you would guide and direct us, that you'd help us to have uh, wonderful afternoons of rest and fellowship with family and friends, and that you would refresh us as we go into the week. We pray all this in the wonderful name of Jesus, our risen Lord. Amen. Amen. Amen.